हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब सो टुडे आई हैव विद मी आर्या की दंडवते she was born and brought up in new jersey and has been studying kathak under the discipleship of guru pandita atna joglekar for over 15 years having been exposed to the nuances beauty and prestigious lineage of kathak by her guru from a young age arya has spent the past several years seriously pursuing every aspect of the art form in 2014 arya received her visharad which is a bachelor's degree from the Samved exam board and in August of 2016 she presented her Rangmanch Pradarshan solo performance her Visharad degree in Kathak has allowed her to study the essence of the Natyashastra a pillar of the arts as well as become proficient in complex practical and theoretical applications of both tal and bhavang Arya has given solo performances at, pre- at prestigious festivals such as Guru Vandana in Mumbai Rabindranathya Mandir in Mumbai Jeeva Heritage Festival in Kentucky and Sangeet Mahotsav New York name a few In the tri-state area Aryaki has performed in many festivals held by various cultural artistic and philanthropic organizations In July of 2015 Aryaki was a top 5 finalist in ZTV's Dance India Dance North America competition held in Mumbai India Arya is a faculty member at Archana Arts primarily training diploma and bachelor students at the academy and she has recently taken the responsibility of choreography and rehearsal assistantship at Archana Arts Aryaki is a regular examiner under the Subved exam board with the New Jersey and Texas Maryland and Boston Apart from her rigorous training in Kathak Aryaki graduated in May with a bachelor's degree in biotechnology and computer science and is currently working as an associate computational bio- biologist at the Dana Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. Arya, Arya, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, glad to have you here. Glad and, to be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. Special thanks to Aditya Garut for connecting us and telling yes. and recommending that I do this with you. So, yes. just to start off with, can you just tell us about your training and background a little bit, Arya? Yeah, so I started learning uh, Kathak from my guru, uh, Pandit Archana Zubrekar, from uh, like 2005. So I was about seven years old when I started. And um, I have trained under her discipleship for about 15 years. Um, and uh, now, ma- mainly what it is, uh, I'm pursuing my Alankar, which is my master's in Kathak. and um uh and i'm assisting uh, my teacher a lot in the in the studio and that kind of thing so um i think my training has been uh very comprehensive um and it started out um kind of the way i was introduced to my guru was through actually a close family friend who also happened to be teaching me um like folk dance or like folk dance and film dance so she had been learning kathak from archana tai 
for uh, a few years. And so she was the one who kind of told my dad, actually, that, um, you know, you should put her in Gatha because she felt that having that training would help me in my uh, dance journey. And so um, from there, initially, of course, as any other kid, it was just an activity. And I don't think it was until like high school that I really started taking it much more seriously. And then in college, once again, I was um, starting to take it much more seriously as a solo pursuit. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess my first question from there is, um, you mentioned you're pursuing a master's degree. Uh, so can you tell us what's, what, what, what does a master's degree add on in addition to what you learned in your bachelor's and how is it different from just studying, just being under someone's discipleship and learning Kathak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it's, um, for one thing, I think the, speaking about the exam structure as a whole, it allows you to kind of have a measure of your progress, like after learning for so many years, kind of how many thals have I learned, how much material have I learned. And it's also a way of kind of keeping uh, some type of quality control, I think, in within the school and making sure that everybody is kind of um, excelling to their fullest potential. Um, but in terms of a master's degree and what I see it kind of differing from the rest of the lower level curriculum is there's a lot more emphasis. Now it's not really on learning material and being able to execute it, but it's being able to make it your own, being able to think on the spot, being able to think more critically about what you're doing um, in the dance. Like for example, in the in your abhine, at what points, what navaras are you using? Uh, or you know, on a, on the level of upas, it's a little bit more intricate. But aside from that, it it is like I'm learning more thals, I'm learning more abhine, and I'm just delving deeper into um, the curriculum. If that makes sense. Okay, and uh, speaking of the curriculum, you mentioned the Samved exam board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of only familiar with the ISTD syllabus a little bit just because I've interviewed some people from Gurukul. Could you tell us a little bit about what the Samved board exam board is about and what is the structure when it comes to Kathak? Right, so I started initially when I was training, I was taking exams under Gandharva Mahavidyalaya. Um, but my guru uh, decided that you know, it. she had her own approach um, to the exams and she kind of wanted to cater it as like, this is something in the U.S. This is an exam board based in the U.S. and um, it's for students in the U.S. So uh, that's why she started the Samved exam board. And um, in terms of the curriculum, I think it's in terms of the level progression, uh, it's very similar to Gandhava Mahavidyale. You start in the pick or like um, kind of kindergarten level and you go up to the Visharad level and starting from the third year which is called Praveshika Purna it's third year but it's also second year I don't know uh, so from that year you start to uh, in addition to a practical exam you you give like a written paper uh, theory exam um, and then at the Visharad level you in addition to having a practical exam and two theory papers, 
You also have um, a Rangamanch Pradarshan, which is like a 30-minute kind of solo. It's supposed to be like kind of your first um, perform solo performance, and it kind of allows the examiner to see how you fare on a on a stage platform. And then the practical examination in the at the Vishadad level is more of call it like a viva. So the examiner can ask you basically anything. She can ask you questions about upa. She can ask you the meanings of different words. Um, and so, yeah, so that is kind of like a brief, I guess, overview of the Samvid curriculum from the Kathak standpoint. And then there's like a similar curriculum for tabla and Bharatanatyam and vocal and so on. Yeah. Okay. And I guess last question on this just this topic and then we'll move on to you as well uh, so in in terms of timeline how long does it take to get your uh, batch in general how long does it take to get your bachelor's when do you do your rangmanch and when and how long would you say it takes to do your master's under this um i would say it take if you're going at a steady rate and you're practicing regularly and and that sort of thing it'll take you about 10 years to finish your vishadad Mm-hmm. 10, 11 years to finish your Vishadad. And then master's, actually, the interesting thing is I am the first student of my teachers in, in this country to do Alankar master's. Yeah, so it has taken me, uh, I actually finished my Vishadad a long time ago, but I've taken a, a gap of learning for about five years um, just because she wanted to develop the curriculum a little bit more. Uh, and so for the for the master's curriculum there's two parts there's part one and part two so both parts together i would say would take about four years on top of the vishara so about 15 years to finish the master's you're the first one doing a master's and you and this is not your day job you have another full-time job what what has helped you stick around all these years and be so committed to it in the first place yeah it's an interesting question um for me this is actually funny a lot of people ask me once I graduated high school and I went to college, a lot of people would, the first thing they would ask me is like, oh, are you still dancing? Like, oh, you're still doing, oh, that's nice. You're still dancing. And because um, I think what has happened nowadays is like when people do Arangetram or some type of big performance, it's kind of like the end of their dance journey. Like it's just a, something that they do. And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm, I kind of don't really dance right. anymore. But for me, that was never like the motive. I think my Rangamanch was always going to be the beginning of my solo career. And um, I think, you know, I, in addition to that, I come from uh, a background of music. My father is a part-time musician and so I've grown up seeing him balance his career and uh, tabla, which is he plays tabla. So I've seen him balance those. And so for me, it was never it was never a question. It was always a necessity for me to have both. And um, and my sister is also a dancer and she also plays piano. So in, in our family, it's like something that we do and it gives us a lot of joy. So, yeah. Awesome. And uh... So since you've been doing Kathak for all these years, what would you say your approach to Kathak is? Yeah, I think um, that has really evolved for me over a period of time. So it comes from years of dancing and thinking about and trying out different things. And I think there was definitely 
a period of time. I think when I graduated high school and I went to college where I took some time away from Kentucky. It was about two years and it was not like intentional. It just happened because I went to college and like, you know, I didn't have space to dance and there wasn't at that time I hadn't really been doing like really hardcore riyas. I was just like, you know, practicing to remember things, but it wasn't, I wasn't, I hadn't really gotten used to this idea of riyas or anything like that. So the internal motivation wasn't really there to be completely honest. And so I was doing a lot more on the Bollywood side and doing, you know, participating in companies and stuff like that, where um, there's a lot of fusion and, and things like that. And, and there was definitely some like part of me that was always longing to go back to Kathak and, and do it uh, fully and immerse myself in that. And so once I finally, the opportunity rose and I kind of got started to go back to Kathak and pursue it a lot more seriously, I started to really realize the um, immense depth of the art form and that this is a very cliche thing to say, but it takes an individual possibly a lifetime or more than a lifetime to really uh, understand everything there is about the art form. And it, and it goes way beyond learning Thoras and learning Hastaks and learning Thals. But there comes a point where you have to kind of understand or decide like what is your approach what are what are you going to do with all that you've learned and um in that sense I think um I've realized that there is a lot that Gatak has to offer that I think hasn't been explored at least by me personally um and I've become really interested and my approach has been to ask questions about things that I take for granted. Um, things that I have learned uh, and I've learned that these are things that are done in Gatak and this is how Gatak is. But I'm forcing myself to kind of question those things and see, is this an opportunity for me to develop and understand more about the art form? And is there something here to be kind of uh, looked at more deeply. And I can give you kind of like an example of a, a question, if that kind of helps, because I think at this point, it sounds a little abstract, like what oh, I was saying. That was going to be my next question. So yeah, you're bang on. Yeah, yeah. So um, and one question, uh, in talking to kind of other peers of mine, and I've come to this question, this is one example, is we have so many thals in Qatar, uh, or in, in Tabla also. You know, for example, we have... Um, we have Rupak, and then we also have Dhamar. And Rupak is a seven matras, and Dhamar is a 14 matras. And so a lot of times what happens, and it's very like commonplace, is to take the toras that we do in Rupak and just do them in Dhamar um, because it's a multiple, so it'll still work. Uh, or, or the other way around, rather. So taking it from Dhamar into Rupak, or Rupak into Dhamar, you can also do, but it won't work all the time. So. Um, the question that I came to is like, if we have all of these thals of the same number of matras and we're just taking thoras from one thal to another thal and it just seems like the thal itself doesn't really, it doesn't really make a difference. It's just a number of matras in a certain cycle, you know, like there's no, um, 
there's no relevance or that that ang of the ta, like where does that come in? Where does that kind of play in? And so I've asked this question to a few people, you know, like um like Shamatai, Shamabhati, or like Shashati, uh Shashati Sain. And their answer has been to me that like uh well, first of all, uh, every tal has its own ang. So if you have dhamara, for example, dhamara is like a pakhavaj tal versus rupak, which is more of a tabla tal. So the compositions that you do in dhamara should reflect that pakhavaj ang versus the um, ang of rupak, which is more tabla. So you wouldn't do like a natvari toda in dhamara. That doesn't make as much sense as it would in rupak. You would do more of a paran repertoire. But even beyond that, I think there is some like merit to looking at the structure of a tal. Like, okay, we have, let's say we have two two tals of the same number of matras and they're both a pakhavajang. Then what distinguishes those two tals? And then at that point, it's like the vibhag separation, how the structure of the tal is. So how can I, when I'm like, uh, thinking about my choreography or developing my bandishes, how can I maintain relevance to the tal? Which I haven't, I, I have seen done, but very rarely. I would say like off the bat, I couldn't tell you like a time when I've seen someone perform and been like, oh, like this makes sense. This would only work in tintal and this wouldn't work in another tal or something like that. So I don't know if that makes any more sense, but um, basically it's asking these questions of, of things that maybe seem like, you know, so, things that I took for granted so yeah that's pretty interesting I guess and this one's gonna probably be, gonna be more of a noob question mm-hmm. on based on that so if each tal has its own ang and each has to be treated separately do do you have to select certain movements for each tal as well then how does that work like specifically how you move yeah. your arms that's interesting that's an interesting point I think um where the choreography comes into question is with regards to whatever composition that you're doing. And I think that will inform the kind of movements that you use in the tal versus like in a pattern, you might, there might be more strength. There might be more like fast movements or there might be more power. And then maybe in the netwari you would use more kalai or something like, or maybe the footwork is a little more intricate or musical or that kind of thing. So I think that would be informed by the, Abundishes that you choose to present in that tal. Okay, so if I'm hearing you correctly, the compositions are informed by the tal, and the and your choreography is informed by the composition. So you have to follow yeah. that kind of flow. Yeah, that's kind of how I the mm-hmm. conclusion I have come to in this moment <laughs> when okay. that may change. But yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So is this something like you're going to formalize and write down, or are these like just thoughts that? come and go or how does it work yeah I think more at this point it's a thought I do have like ambitions of maybe developing entire maybe like a solo with this approach mm-hmm. but right now I'm just you know trying it with one one bandish here and there thinking about how I would do it because I think that's one thing is like if it were that easy to do I think everybody would do it but I think that's what's so beautiful about the classical art forms is that the things which are necessary to be done take a lot of time and contemplation and they're not the most simple they're not the most easy things in front of you yeah okay i guess that that, and that kind of brings me to my next question when you talk about 
things that are like necessary to be done in your opinion and what you feel is necessary uh what do you feel is necessary that needs to be done that you're going to do yeah i think um something that i think has also been influenced by my own guru is her approach to abhinay um and i think one thing that it's changing a little bit now and i appreciate that but i think um it could be done a little bit more there is a lot of i think focus on just radha and krishna chhedchhad but i think there are many more themes that can be explored like for example um i think other dances like bharatanatyam even kuchpudi and odissi also they all explore kind of other epics or other pieces of mythology in a little bit more depth like they have a lot more pieces that that they do and so um like for example in odissi it's it's geet govin and the geet govin is not just church hard by any means it's like very much more um involved and it takes a lot more study i think and so i i think it would be really interesting cuz i think kathak and a lot of people say this you know kathak So, like, Kathak is supposed to be the art form that is the one that tells us tells stories that are relatable to people um, and that'll engage people. And I think Kathak has the kind of unique ability that it's Abhinay is Lokadharmi versus uh, more Nakadharmi, more stylized, like some of the other styles of Indian classical dance. It's very Lokadharmi, and so there's a lot of scope. to show a, a a vast array of themes i think a uh, real quick what uh, what's lokdharmi versus the other thing you said yeah so nakadharmi like i said is like more stylized abhinay mm-hmm. i would say in, in the context of abhinay it's more stylized but lokdharmi is like closer to what uh you would see day to day and i think like you know for example in kathak we okay. follow the mudras uh like the hasta mudras and stuff but we don't use them they don't have to like a katakamukha doesn't have to be completely finger straight katakamukha you're suggest using it as a suggestion um but they're more loose in that sense so yeah okay um so i i guess that come brings me to my next question so what uh so if told me like what Bharatnatyam Morissi explores and when it comes to you what are the kind of stories you want to tell are there any specific epics from the mythology or some places you have in mind that uh, that you want to tell Yeah um I think I I'm still exploring that but I think um like perhaps exploring like female protagonists a little bit more like Draupadi is something that so recently I've been teaching Uh, in the visharad level we teach agat bhav on dopati chidharan and so teaching that has really like piqued my interest like maybe there's something here that i can do something here that i can explore and i think the candidness of kathakabhine can really lend itself to having a really poignant piece on dopati and i know people in kathak have done it before i'm not saying they haven't but i think um moving that into the common place versus the default always being to do like a tumri as your abhinay um it doesn't have to be that way uh and i think i like i said i take a lot of inspiration from my guru i think she has done a lot of really great work in like just thinking about abhinay from a very realistic perspective and and that her approach has really i think allowed me to think in the way that i do 
Okay, and uh, what what aspects of Draupadi were you drawn to when you were doing that Gadbhav and you felt like needed to be explored? Were there any specific characteristics she had that you felt like I had to do it? So it's actually a combination of teaching the Gadbhav and I was reading this book recently by Chitra Devakaruni Banerjee um, called Palace of Illusions. Um, and it's, so it's basically like Draupadi's story from her like perspective. And I think um, there are a lot of shades. She's not, she's a very complex person. She at once feels um, this sort of, uh, I don't want to say entitlement, but I guess to an extent she, she has a pride and she has a pride in who she is. And, um, and then she also has a sort of jealousy, um, towards her husband's like other wives and uh, towards the fact that she loves Arjun and, or she kind of longed to be with Arjun, but he didn't necessarily reciprocate that with as much, you know, not as strongly. And, and then the kind of the whole poignancy of that, like juxtaposed with the actual Draupadi Chirharan where, you know, this really strong woman, the, potential for her rage is like really I think attractive and it's very empowering um uh so I think she is like a very elusive character and I think reading more about her and from her perspective and and I'm not saying that I've studied a lot about her and I and I am kind of in the process of doing so um but I think she has a lot that can be explored uh so yeah okay okay that's awesome that's really interesting i'm mm-hmm. looking forward to see what you come up with yeah and i guess since you mentioned your guru a couple of times could you give, tell us a little bit about the like archana arts and, and archana thai what and yeah so um archana nutyale is actually the name of the academy was not uh, Thay didn't name the academy. Her mom did. She knew that she was going to have a daughter named huh. Archana. Wow. Yeah. So she, yeah. So she was actually founded the same year that Thay was born. I think a few, uh, like months here and there. So it was like nineteen Yeah. <laughs> so nineteen sixty three, it was founded by Asha Zubaker, and she was a student of um, Panita Rohini Bharti and Nataraj Gopikishan. And um, so I think what's really quite amazing about her is she started learning Kathak later in her life, like after she had had kids. Um, so she was kind of balancing uh, kind of the home life and, and she always kept up her Kathak riyas, which I think is, is quite commendable. Um, and what she did is, uh, I think people who are listening or maybe the are familiar with Kathak would be able to understand that the styles of uh, Panita Rohini Bharti and Nataraj Gopikishan are very different. Um, and so I think um, from Gopiji, she learned the power and the uh, the energy of Banaras Karana. Um, and I think people can you know see that in the videos of Gopiji, like how much power and energy and strength that he had, the flashiness of his dancing. And the precision and grace of Panita Rohini Bharti's Kathak. So she kind of had experienced both. 
and she wanted to bring elements of both which appeal to her. So kind of create the Kathak that she would ideally want to watch on, on the stage out of those two kind of gurus that she had learned from. And so I think the structure of our syllabus and the, our approach to teaching, I think, is very much informed by um, her experience with Pandita Rumi Bharti. But the Toras and stuff, uh, we have some compositions of Gopiji, some of uh, Pandita Rumi Bharti, and then also my guru, uh, her Tal guru, was um, Pandit Ramdas Sharma, who was a Pakhavaj player of uh, Kudau Singharana. So she has many compositions from him. And so our uh, the whole curriculum is a very... So that's when people ask me, like, what gharana do you dance? I just say all of them <laughs> because it's a mix. Um, and it's a really beautiful mix. Mm-hmm. And I think I've had a really... It's been a really great uh, privilege to learn kind of both the power of Kathak and the precision of it in, in one place. And um, yeah, so uh, Archana Arts has been in the U.S. since uh, 1998, I would say, or 99. Um, and so, yeah, Archana came here uh, and uh, she started the academy. And yeah, so <laughs> that's basically the history. Awesome. And since you're like, uh, would it be wrong? You're her most senior most student, right? Yeah. And since you've uh, and since you've been training with her for so long, what is your personal connection with her like, and how has that changed over the years? Yeah, I think um, so. It it started out like I was another student in the class, and I had growing up, I had like a batch kind of the kids that were in my class, and we had kind of moved through all the levels together. And then yeah. after a certain period of time, some kids, you know, they drop off, they go to college, they don't really stick around but I somehow I stuck around um for a while me and my my guru bhai um Shiv Narkarani so he's um so he he's now on the west coast but it was basically only the two of us from our year that stayed around and I think um through the process of doing the Rangmanch Pradarshan and and then training to be a faculty teacher and now doing my Alankar it has become a very close relationship. And I think she confides a lot in me and she kind of sees, she knows, or she wants her kind of, she wants me to kind of hold on to her legacy and what she has done. And I think um, I have, you know, over the years, as our relationship keeps going on, it kind of, I, it, I keep learning more of more about, you know, her artistry, her approach and what her dreams and goals are. And I think um, that's really great. And I think the other great thing is she has allowed me to be the dancer that um, I want to be. Like she's given me room to kind of think and develop my own way of doing Gatak. It's not that I dance completely differently from her, but she allows me to take, you know, when she teaches me a Tora, she allows me to like interpret it in my own way and interpret the movement in my own way. I think that's really liberating and it's nice to have a guru who will allow you that leeway as you grow into your own self and as you understand what you love about Gatak. Yeah. Okay. And I guess you've touched upon certain elements of it and it would help help to understand that in detail. Yeah. What are what are the as what are the aspects of Kathak you love? 
when it comes to that yeah i i so tai is of course you know a great her nutta her technique is amazing mm-hmm. but i think what is even more amazing about her is her abhinay is like i've never seen abhinay like that ever okay. before um and so actually tai was in she worked in the film industry for a little bit mm-hmm. um and so i mean i don't i don't know if that has anything to do with it but the way she develops characters um she doesn't inform her character decisions based on convention she doesn't like show a character a certain way because this is how people do it okay. she she kind of thinks about in this particular situation how would a character respond in in, in the most humanistic sense how would a character respond in the situation and so then I, i think that's what allows her abhinay to be so real and the people that watch her immediately know um what's happening uh and and she also has this thing where like in her in her technical presentations and i think you know people do this um uh quite a lot i think is like taking thoras and kind of interpreting them in the sense of abhinay like how would how would i take this thora and show some short story in that so um learning all those techniques from her i think uh has been really great and enriching experience and um i think as she grows older she's performing a lot more abhinay which is a great treat for us so yeah okay that's really interesting and i've seen some of your abhinay pieces as well like kind of understand what you mean by like it being more like natural and yeah that really that is really interesting mm-hmm. and i guess also while uh, coming to like your teaching since you're an assistant teacher as well uh, how what uh, how would you say your teaching methodology is different from say your guru and what are the things you would want to add as as you become like you take you go in more and more into this role yeah i think um right now i'm very much in a position where i'm trying to soak up as much as i can about m- my guru's teaching style and um i think something that we hold in like high regard is maintaining quality and maintaining precision at every level and i think as a teacher i'm starting to notice how important it is at the younger levels um when the kids first come into the school that first impression is super important and um cuz they come to you basically tabula rasa like blank slate um especially the little kids and so if you put any like one ounce of like the wrong thing it could amplify in like a few years so um the whole process of being thorough the whole process of kind of rectifying um technique issues and and that kind of thing um i that's actually the part that i love about teaching is when i'm able to teach a student something and then they come back the next week and and they do it or when i correct them and they come back the next week and they do it that's like for me has been the most satisfying um thing and i think um as a teacher now i really appreciate the curriculum that my guru has 
created over the years. Um, the kind of hustics that she teaches and then how you incorporate the hustics into todas and then how you kind of build those levels of knowledge. I think I wouldn't change anything about that aspect of it. I think it's very well thought out. Um, and um, the, the only thing that I kind of maybe would want to teach a little bit more is like, incorporating a little bit more of the the theory part integrating that a little bit more with the practical which i think we're starting to do more um of but i think kind of keep instead of keeping those things kind of separate as right now they're a little bit separate um as this, especially as you go to the higher levels but finding a way to kind of integrate those types of things so it's a, it's a little bit easier for i think kids here <laughs> The problem is like we're not used to like memorizing or or like memorizing large pieces of learning large pieces of information and then writing exams for like three hours about it. Like I've never had to do that until I did my Kathak exams. So I think um, kind of amending that part of the process, I think, would be the only thing that I would really change. But I think I'm in a position where I'm still like learning and I'm trying to. I think as that process goes along, I'll be able to see a little bit more what I would change or include. Yeah. Okay, that really helps, and that helps you understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And in, in terms of like, and like a more well, yeah, lighter question would be like in terms of strictness. How how, uh, how uh, what kind of teacher do you feel you are? Do you, you want to be super strict? Do you want to be like friends with them somewhere in the middle? Where do you see yourself? So this is actually really funny. The other day, my teacher told me um, that, so we're kind of in the midst of an exam season right now. Okay. Um, so a couple of the girls have their exam this weekend mm -hmm. and mm, they were preparing and they were asking my teacher, like, so who is our examiner going to be? And then somehow they, they came upon, mm -hmm. some, someone mentioned my name <laughs> or something. <laughs> and then, Mm -hmm. another girl was like oh she's so strict she's oh. such a strict teacher I was like oh my but honestly I would rather it be that way a little bit because um I think sometimes the kids look at me and they're like oh she's so young you know like she won't yeah. uh I can mess around and it'll be fine but I think yeah. um I try to maintain like a balance of you know understanding um, mm -hmm. where like if a kid is getting something wrong it's not because they're necessarily like you know not paying attention or they're ignorant and they're intentionally not getting it I think mm -hmm. there's a point at which you start to like question like okay is this kid listening are they practicing are they not practicing but I think I try to give the kid the benefit of the doubt initially mm -hmm. and then if they repetitively don't show up and practice then I start to get a little bit you know, mean, <laughs> but <That's right>. yeah. <laughs> okay. So like, how do you handle a situation where you found out like it's a repetitive pattern and like someone is not practicing? How do you, what is your usual approach to that? So the way I've been taught by my guru to handle this situation is mm -hmm. the biggest incentive I think for kids is like, if, if they don't get to learn something new that week, then they're kind of forced to go back home and be like, okay, what did I do wrong? Let me fix it. You know, let me listen to it. The teacher said, so there have been times where, you know, I, I think like, this was like when I was teaching earlier on, I don't think the kids like fully, they didn't fully take me seriously. And then 
there was one time where a student I was I hadn't taught her for a month because she kept coming and she hadn't done her homework. <laughs> so um, but then all of a sudden she kind of started to pick up the slack and like she was mm-hmm. practicing and like getting it together. And so I think that has been one successful way for me to kind of um, mm-hmm. motivate the kids to want to like move ahead and learn more. Yeah. Nice. Okay. okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I guess, so since we talked about your teaching, your background, what you want to do with Kathak, the next thing that would be very interesting to explore is your performance career because you've been a prolific performer from what I've understood and from just from your bio. Um, and just to get into a little bit, what would you say your favorite performance has been or your first, two or three favorite performances? Uh, I think the first performance that's like the closest to my heart is um, the first time I performed in Mumbai um, and my guru, she, so that was, my guru organizes like an annual, obviously it didn't happen this year, but annual Mm -hmm. festival called Guru Vandana and it's in honor of her late mother, Guru Asha Zubrikar. And um, so in that she kind of brings one of her students uh, to perform um, and then she also invites a guru, like an esteemed guru. Um, so the first year it was, uh, late Guru Dharam Shibhai Shah, Shaha. Um, and then the last year that we did it last year, she invited Maharaji, I think. And then the year after that, um, she invited Dr. Puru Dadich. So, which is, who is a great, uh, Gathak scholar. So um, she invites a guru and, you know, kind of honors their achievement and their contribution to the art form um, over their lifetime. Um, And so that was the first year that she did it. I think it was 2017. Um, uh, She she took me with her to perform in Mumbai. And um, I think one of the kind of sucky things, (laughs) sucky is not like a... um, professional word but i'm using it anyway it's okay. uh, <laughs> if it sucks it sucks it's fine yeah one kind of sucky thing is that living in the u.s i think we don't we don't i don't know there's not that much of a culture of performing with live musicians that often we don't really get that opportunity as much um so the only time i performed with live musicians in the u.s has been my own much brother and so in mumbai i got to perform um with live musicians and they were like, you know, really well-known musicians. And so that was really great. And then my, my guru was sitting for Pradhanth and she was also performing after me. And so the, um, and, and then my grandparents got to see me perform. So that was like a experience that was very close to my heart. Um, and then I think the second one would probably also have to be in India. Uh, I performed in Kerala with my guru and uh, we performed in Gunnar Kerala. And that was kind of one of the first... Gathak isn't so popular, I think, there in that particular area. I don't think many people have seen Gathak. So and that was kind of like the first, you know, it was a full night Gathak concert. And my guru performed and I performed and I performed with her on stage. So sharing the stage with my guru is um, a really special thing, uh, I think. And then I would say my Rangmanch Pradarshan is probably my... Uh, cherished one. I, I think um, most people look back at their Arangate, there was Arang mentioned. It's probably not the best, it's probably going to be the worst performance of your solo career, but it's 
it's the beginning. And I think that's what makes it very special. Um, and I think that was like the first time I really rigorously trained. I learned several pieces that I think really stretched my own capacity and my abilities. And so, um, yeah. Oh, wait, I also do. Okay. I, you said three, but I'm going to say fourth one. Um, I might have said five or six. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry um, about it. Yeah. I performed in Dallas um, in my, uh, I don't know, like 2018 or something. And that was like the first performance I had done after, like, I, I think I mentioned this, like in college, I kind of took a two year break. Mm-hmm. So that was the first performance I had done in since my young bunch and preparing for that really like pushed me back into shape and from that point on there was no looking back like I became much more diligent about my rias and I think that kind of event was the catalyst for me to like really pursue everything a lot more seriously so yeah <laughs> those are the four that I think are the most special to me okay that's awesome and i guess i guess first question from there is um, what made you uh, when you ha- took a break what made you want to come back and was that process hard for you when i started the journey of pursuing kathak a lot more seriously i began to feel a lot more happier about my life in general it was and it, that's when i kind of realized that this is something that i can't live without and it's something that makes me very happy I don't know it sounds very cliche but uh I think um yeah I think that preparing for that performance and putting myself in that more high intensity Riaz zone reminded me why um I do it and I wanted to do more of it and I wanted to keep doing it so I just kept doing it and then I didn't look back so and it was hard with college. I had to find a way to manage my time, which is, it's also funny because I went to NYU, um, which is in the city and finding dance space in the city is not easy. Uh, so, but I, I think my first two years I had used that as an excuse. And then after that, I was like, that's no excuse for me to not dance. Um, so I found ways to do it and I did it. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wait, you have to tell me about this. You said you found ways. So, yeah, so, so tell me about kind of, that. It's kind like, of funny like, now that I think about it. So, I, I mean, yeah. it's not that I crazy. It's really funny. Uh, so, like, in New York, if you want to reserve a studio space, usually if you call the same day, the studio spaces, they have, like, a discounted price. <laughs> So like I was a student and I was working a job, but it was like in a lab and I was like some low, really low position. So I wasn't really getting paid that much. So um, I would do the thing where I would wake up every morning and I would call the studio and go at some odd hour, like 10 p.m. or like 9 p.m. and just like find any studio. I have like three studio spaces that I used to call religiously every day. So if one didn't have a space, then I call the second one, the third one. So I tried that for the first like two or three months. And then that was like, you know what, this is not very sustainable. Like, um, I need to have like a regular, more regular time. So I actually found um, the Battery Dance Center, uh, Battery Dance Studios um, in New York. And they were willing to give me the space at 6 a.m. And that was like their off peak hours. 
So they, so it like cost less. <laughs> so I was able to afford that. So they would literally give me the keys to the studio because I'd be the first one there. And I would go there at 6am. And so I did this for two years. I don't even know how, like now, I don't know how I woke up and practiced in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like a very, uh, it was like, um, brought a lot of discipline into my life. And I got a lot I think I really improved in that time. Like my, my stamina and everything improved a lot more. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense why you'd get up because you have like I think when when you have a reason to get up, you kind of get up excited. Yeah. Instead of just getting up just because you're supposed to get up as a yeah. member of society, so it makes a difference. But yeah. yeah, cool story. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And yeah. That's awesome. And uh, Arya, since you've had experience performing both on stage and in front of the camera for television, mm-hmm. what's the diff- how does it change? What, what are the differences between those two platforms? So Dance in the Dance was a very interesting, it was a very eye-opening experience. I did it, um, yeah, it was my junior year of high school. And I think a lot of people probably know this now about like reality television. It's very orchestrated. I would do the dance in like one take, but the audience wasn't necessarily cheering at all the parts that they do and that sort of thing. But there's not a lot of room for, there's not a lot of time for you to really interact and like get into that space and and perform. It's very like jittery here, you're here, then you're there, then you're there. I think with performing a solo on stage, you kind of have that tit off. You're like on the stage, you're commanding it. I would definitely prefer dancing on the stage, though dancing for the camera, I think, is an experience everyone should have just to see what it's like. But I think my experience on Dance India Dance really, um, uh, I think it opened my eyes to physical aspects of dance. So like maintaining flexibility and conditioning and that sort of thing. At that point in my life, I hadn't done a lot of that. It was just like, I would just go to Gatha class. I would do my Gatha practice, but I hadn't conditioned. I hadn't been working on my flexibility. And I think, you know, there was like one day where like one of the choreographers was like, okay, can you do a split? And I was like, absolutely not. I can't do a split. Um, <laughs> I had zero flexibility. I had no idea. And and that was like embarrassing for me. So I came home and I worked on it like religiously for like weeks. And so now I can do splits on both sides. But wait, wait um, how long did that take you? It took me, it actually didn't take me that. It took me like two months, but okay. then now nice. I'm like much more comfortable. And so at two months, like I could do it, but then it would be like, I can't hold it for longer than like one second. But like now I can hold it a little bit longer and, um, Generally, my, um, I guess my stretching and conditioning and stuff has increased a lot more. So, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know you could do. I'm just curious about myself now. So yeah. how long? So do you uh, like, this is nothing to do with Kathak, I guess. But <laughs> no, if, if you wanted to get to a split, do you just like stretch yourself more and more every day? How does it work? Yeah, I used to. So this was like weird. I was like in high school. And so this was like the dawn of like YouTube health stuff. So I would like, I found some video that would like do all these sequence of stretches. Like, you know, you're opening your like hips and your hip flexors and your hamstrings, all these muscles that you uh, use to do a split. Um, And so 
stretching those like extensively um, and giving yourself a break. I didn't give myself breaks because I was too excited to get a split, but giving yourself time to like recover and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot, a lot of stretching. Um, and so I finally, uh, that's how I got it. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's really interesting. And that really helps with that. Yeah. And yes, it, uh, I love what you, uh, it was very interesting what you said about the reality shows. Cause I am most Kathak dancers I speak to, uh, they absolutely despise the idea of having a five minute performance. So yeah. I, I imagine reality shows and all that because they have, they're like so constrained. It's not like their favorite place to perform, but I guess everyone's yeah. different. I think so, the other thing about reality shows is like the whole motive is entertainment only. I see. And so you kind of like add, I had done a lot me on that show. Okay. Um, and in that they like made me do like a cartwheel and like all sorts of like things, but like, that's not, just for the entertainment factor, that's not like oh. part of Lavni. Like nobody, you don't traditionally do cartwheels in Lavni, so right. kind of like crazy things like that. That's like so you don't have so you don't have like a hundred percent creative control over what you're gonna. No, perform. not at all. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. That's yeah. really interesting. So mm-hmm. now that you've kind of performed on stage and you've done the TV gig as well. When it comes to choosing performances, what are the things you look from, say, first, like from an organizer perspective, when people, when someone asks you to perform, what are the things you look for? Mm -hmm. I think um, one thing is, so how much kind of time is first, like how much time I'm getting for the performance is one thing. Um, And then this is something that I think has a lot more awareness has, uh, mm-hmm. come out about this recently is a like compensation and I think that's something my guru has always told me she's like you're not performing for free like do you know you should know your worth enough to know that you're not performing for free and um if you're performing for free it'll it should be for like you know it should be for charity or something like that but or the exposure should be so much <laughs> that you're performing for free but really those situations are very less. And I think as a not full-time performer, it's kind of my responsibility to not take those opportunities that are free um, because I think that makes that the norm. Like then, you know, I I could be taking away opportunities from people who are doing this full-time and whose Mm -hmm. income kind of depend on this. Um, And so I think that's like an important thing that I think people should look at. And then I think uh, the third thing is I started to realize is kind of like, and, and you kind of get this from interacting with the organizers and stuff like that, but whether they respect you and where you come from and whether they're willing to work with you and, and kind of like, you know, help you even uh, help you like advertise the performance, advertise yourself. And then you kind of have like a good rapport with them. You can work with them in the future. I think that's also an important thing to look at when you're looking at. Okay. So um, like, so for people who are just trying to get into performances, are there like any obvious red flags someone should look out for before getting too much, like too much into it and then figuring out, Oh, I should have known this. Yeah. I think um, that's something I've learned from my guru. She's kind of been like my manager when it comes to this kind of thing is like speaking to people right off the bat. um, How much time are they giving you? What kind of stage is it? What kind of platform? Like, you know, like some, it can be 
you know, uh, I guess sometimes people will, it'll be things like, um, small things, I, it, small things, but they'll come up like your biography. Are they going to read your biography? Are they going to mention your guru? Are they going to mention you? Are they going to mention your training or what kind of stage is it on? Is it like, you know, is it like in the middle of a carnival or something like that? So then nobody's going to be watching you or, uh, the compensation thing is a huge, I think, red flag. If you don't already know the organization and you, they, they haven't really organized things before and they're not willing to compensate you, I think that should be a red flag. Um, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't have vast, vast experience, but in my experience, I think these are the things that my guru has told me to watch out for and that I try to like not put myself in a situation where I kind of, yeah, end up compromising myself. <laughs> Since you're kind of in the middle of your master's degree, you're kind of getting into teaching, been doing this for 15 years and you're, you're still in the weeds for in Kathak when it comes to it. But looking at it long term, what kind of impact do you want to leave on Kathak and what do you want your legacy to be? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. And it's a very, uh, it's a question I think about a lot. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if I have a straight answer to it. But I think it has to do with my approach and the way that I have approached um, the, the way that I want to approach Gathuk is like from this whole sense that like, I have certain convictions about things or I've questioned certain things and I've come to certain conclusions and I've tried to implement them in, in some type of way. And um, I think that's if people are able to see that at all and if I'm able to communicate that at all, I think that is very, that would be like a great accomplishment for me. And I think it's not even about performing. It's even like teaching kids and when you teach them, kind of getting them making them privy to your thought process and, and letting them know, like, this is how I think about things and, and allowing them to also the kind of liberty to question when they learn. I think if I am able to develop that kind of relationship with my students, that'll be a great legacy that I'd want to leave. It's something that my guru has taught me, something that my dad has taught me because he's also a tabla player and he's spent a lot of his life learning on his own in addition to learning from gurus, but Self-questioning has been a huge part of his journey. And I think the last thing that I think um, I think is really important, and I think in the age of like social media, um, it's really important that uh, my, I want my legacy to be that I supported other people and I support other artists and I support my fellow artists in whatever that they want to do. And I think building more of that community and that sense of like, this is a positive space and, and that I have somehow contributed positively or I I have allowed someone to feel good about their dancing. Um, I think that above all is like something that I, I strive for. And I hope that, you know, people will be like, Oh, Aria. Yeah. She's like really, she's really supportive. She's a really supportive person. Um, And so, yeah. That is a great way to end it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Great job. Yeah, and thanks a lot for coming. Really had a great time listening to your stories, your journey, and what you plan to do with Kathak. Thank you.
Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Brahman.